Welcome to the Everything Early Childhood podcast designed for approved providers, nominated supervisors and other childcare leaders. This fun, lighthearted and very serious podcast features weekly episodes on strategy, advice and conversations with fascinating and inspiring people from across our sector. Join the journey and have access to the tools and inspiration you need to create high performing childcare businesses. Let's get started. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Everything Early Childhood. My name is Lisa Brown, and I'm the founder of Platinum Education Group. And can I just say how blessed and grateful I am for my life every single day? Um, I get to help support amazing superhumans in our profession to thrive and succeed through building simple solutions and strategies to help them really, really simplify and reduce the amount of paper and work that we do in our services every day. Not reducing the quality, just reducing the work. Now, I almost, this podcast is a little bit late if you haven't noticed. I, excuse me, I almost didn't record a podcast this week. And it's because, you know, my goal is always to come and share some inspiration, some inspiration, you know, really encourage you and empower you in your jobs and in your knowledge every single week. And this week, I'm feeling a little bit deflated. Um, I'm feeling a little bit defeated. Um, I And I thought, you know what, I just, I'm going to go with it because I thought today's episode is going to be a little bit different. And it's going to be around just some things that are happening within our profession right now. And I guess my thoughts around those and just some ideas. And I'd love, really, really love to hear your feedback on these. So this is just my opinion. Um, I do hope that um, you get some value. Well, you will still get some value from this episode because I'm going to talk about some common observations from um, services that we've been visiting lately, some really positive things. But first, I wanted to talk about the state government's announcement to have um, 500 brand new government-funded preschools built in New South Wales. So they're saying that that will cater for over 50,000 children for this new pre-kindergarten program that they have to give children the best head start to starting school. Um, And I'm just so sad by this. I, I just cannot believe that they continue to put initiatives and money and they're just throwing money at different solutions that they see as a solution um they the government is seeing particularly um this is state government are seeing that there is um a shortage of services that can cater for children of preschool age and give them what they need to attend this pre-kindergarten to get ready for school now I want to know who is going to address the fact of where are they going to get all of these team members from we have had an ongoing issue with staff shortages and that is clear. It's the elephant in the room. Yes, I'm hearing from different people in the sector that, um, you know, it's starting to pick up this year, which is that little sense of hope. Um, and we're having a lot of people coming in from overseas. And yes, there's a lot of things happening behind the scenes with um, working with Um, governments to put in place different contracts and different arrangements and agreements with visas and things like that. But 
we are three to five years, even more, behind in our staffing. Where does the government, the state government, expect us to get staff from to staff these, you know, and to have full teams? There's services out there right now that as a result of not having an, a- an adequate number of team members, not to put pressure on their teams, they've reduced their capacity. So they might be licensed for 50 places a day, but they're operating operating at 40 even more or even less I should say places per day not to put extra stress and pressure and burden on their teams. So I really would like the government to really think about what can they actually do for the sector? Because whilst they're throwing money at you know this new CCS, this new fee relief, this new building all these new pre-kindergartens, I you know we've struggled in center-based services for the last I would say three years to fill preschool programs. So they're running at a loss. We're having to put places in other age groups in order to fill the occupancy of the services. And so therefore, they're at a disadvantage. Now, I would also like to encourage services to really think about how are they pushing their preschool programs. Um, Don't feel pressured that you have to... um, conform or um, put yourself in a box that you have to do school work like we are not a watered down school research suggests that play-based learning is so crucial to children of this age let's not put them in this environment where they just have to conform they have to sit they have to do work at tables let's allow children to be children for as long as we can and I'm an advocate for play-based learning I think it's so crucial and so important um, and the facts that we can learn so much or cho- and children can learn so much alongside us as they go through that journey of play play all play is is practicing skills and knowledge that children are acquiring through learning through life through their concepts their imagination their um, you know testing out hypotheses and it's really important that we provide these spaces for children to be able to do this there's a quote that I always refer back to um, when I when I owned my center and it said we may not be able to prepare we may not be able to prepare the future for our children, but we can prepare our children for the future. Now, I remember when I started uni and studying my degree, my lecturer told me in my first year of uni, what you learn this year will be irrelevant by the time you finish. And that really stuck with me because I was like, well, that is how quickly things are moving. That's how quickly knowledge, you know, knowledge and society and how quickly we're moving in today's generation and today's society. We are a, um, a data-driven, fact-driven, technologically-driven society. Information is at our fingertips. So I really think that we need to look at how we're really promoting children and to really... Um, almost enhance childhood and really get out there to um, families, communities, the importance of this and the importance of preserving childhood. 
I think that putting children in a, in a situation that they're not ready for, what do we see? The adverse effects of that. The adverse effects of that is that we see children just drowned out, children who can't, are not having their voices heard, children that feel like, okay, well, I have to conform to fit in, children that you know are afraid to stand out, children that are afraid to be themselves. We work so damn hard in early childhood to create amazing human beings that are individuals and are able to express their opinions, their points of view, and we nurture that so beautifully. The minute that they step into these, um, I'm going to call it the system, the school system, um, and they start to lose these aspects of who they are and their personality. So I would really want us to really band together and fight for this childhood and fight for preserving childhood and really get out there however you can whether it's in your socials whether it's in um, you know parent information nights you're having with families your tours with families the importance of preserving childhood and the value of play um, I'm going to share some stuff on my socials about the value of play. So if you want to inc- if you want to share that on your socials, I'd really encourage you to do so. I really want to get out there to families that even though it's a centre-based care or a long day care, the value that we bring in our services, particularly for three to five-year-olds, is crucial to children's development. Like do not put children into a situation they are not ready for. Their brains are not developed to that state to be able to experience those things that we're putting them into. And the government, the state government, in New South Wales is wanting to push this on children earlier and earlier and earlier like we're we're still fighting to get the age moved to five for children to start school there's children starting school at four in some in some capacities and we see like I'm primary trained as well we see these children year after year after year falling further and further and further behind. And then you get to obviously high school when they start to go, all their peers are turning 18, they're still 17, you know, and those impacts and those effects, and they obviously want to do what all their peers are doing. So we really need to think about, and I'm not saying every child is absolutely an individual. I advocate for, you know, families having the right to make the decision around their child. But, you know, why should we not have that set age? Why should we not look at the research and look at those reputable sources that have been, you know, feeding us all of this data and information that, you know, and what does that say? Where does that take us? So I'm really, I'm, I'm getting really frustrated that the government keeps supporting families, not because they keep supporting families, but when is it, our turn for the profession to be supported like what I know they've said there's all these initiatives that you know they're paying for these degrees they've got these scholarships etc etc but how can they allow continue to allow the media continue to allow even their spokespeople to continue to talk down on our sector 
So again, I really want to encourage us to share good news stories, share the amazing reasons and the amazing things that we are doing every single day and get out there. Why is it important? Why is what we do every single day so crucial to these children's lives? We're preserving that childhood and that is just the most important thing that we could ever do because what happens is children carry our brains, children's brains are fully developed by six years of age. So all of their beliefs, all of their values, all everything, um, all of their um, neurons in their brains are at their fullest capacity. So those are, and we know as adults, we carry like, we carry crap with us in our brains from our childhood. And it's that early childhood that is so critical in making sure that we have that baggage that we carry with us for the rest of our lives. And we see that time and time and time again, that we have to, as adults, you know, go through and, um, look at that baggage that we're carrying, deal with it. Whereas what happens if we had beautiful childhoods and we preserve that childhood, like how much more fulfilling and rewarding and amazing would these adults be in life? Because I think that's an important message. The important message is that we are not just getting children ready for school. School is just one part of life. We are getting children ready for life. So we need to look beyond in our services. We need to look beyond um, that next step, which is school. And we need to consider life. And we don't know what life is going to look like. Like I always say the jobs that exist now, like or we're educating children for jobs that don't even exist yet. So how, what we need to do is look at those skills that we need to embed in children now in order to succeed in life in the future. So we don't know what that's going to look like, but we do know that those amazing skills like people skills, social skills, um, emotional intelligence, um, being able to resolve conflicts, um, you know, really empathy with other people. Um, what else? So innovation, curiosity, problem solving. So think about all of those different solutions and think, I mean, sorry, all of those different um, attributes and skills that are so, so crucial in the future. And how can you embed those in your service? today like I ask you I mean throughout my whole schooling I mean you can see my video of my story um, and you know school was not for me and I questioned that my entire schooling like what benefit of this is this in my life how is this going to be useful for me I was one of those and I am still one of those people that question everything and make sure that I understand make sure I understand the full picture and how this is going to benefit people and how this is going to and it's one of my superpowers I can look at something look at a problem and I can be like okay this is the solution or these are the possible solutions and for me it has to be purposeful it has to be meaningful and it has to make sense so school to me never made sense I didn't understand it um primary school is really fun that's that's all good but high school for me I was like what the hell is this place like why am I coming here what is this about like how is this going to benefit my life in the future so you know it was a big journey for me and you you can hear my story I've got a full video about it I'm not going to go into it in detail um right now but the fact is when people find what they want to do it's really easy for them to go and do that. So why, anyway, so the schooling, why are we making children conform? 
when all we should be doing is helping children to be individuals and find what they love. The way you find what you love is to try many, many different things um, and to build all of those skills and values um, into into humans um, that they can take with them for the rest of their life. So that's my point on that. Um, the next point I wanted to talk about was, um, this has been one hell of a week, guys. Um, so I had the opportunity to um, attend an event, um, which was really great. The regulatory authority attended. Um, they've obviously got new people on board who are really open um, to sitting in front of us and, and hearing approved providers um, and professionals from the from the sector speak um, and answer questions and find out really what their priorities are. Um, so they shared their priorities, um, which, which is nothing new. So they're shared all about their child safe standards, um, cultural safety. So they're in the process of, we know that in EYLF 2.0, they talk a lot about cultural safety and people are really nervous and sit with discomfort around um, cultural safety, how to be appropriate about it, how to consider people's feelings, etc, etc. So what they've um, distinguished is, and they're working on at the moment is a cultural safety framework to allow services to um, have that to be going in this in the right direction, I suppose. So that's really, I can't wait to see what that is. Um, obviously, their pre-kindergarten um, and their funding, the um, transport, so safe transport. So from the 1st of March, you need to make sure that you update all of those changes in all of your policies around safe transport. Now, even if you do not go on excursions or use transport, please make sure this is in your enrollment paperwork and in your policies within your service. It's really important to make sure that every all of your legislative or all of your regular of policies and procedures are relevant to the legislation changes. So make sure that that's all updated. Um, what else? So the transport of children, oh, safe sleep and rest. So we know that that's really prominent at the moment, that they see that as a time of high risk. So we need to make sure that we're um, backfilling breaks and having people um, in the room being on ratio at all times. Um, they see completing paperwork and things during that time as not adequate supervision. So just make sure that you're mindful, you're getting up, you're looking at Every, every 10 minutes, five to 10 minutes, just walking around and assessing the children who are sleeping, um, making sure they're safe, making sure nothing is obviously blocking their um, airways. Pull up, um, I know that some children like to sleep with blankets over their face. So just as they fall, just move that blanket, make sure nothing's covering them um, and their face and their ability to breathe. Um, and I've got some slides about the other priorities. So I'll share those. But what this event really made clear for me, and I don't know why I was surprised, I always say this to clients and I always say this to people and it's something I say to myself all the time as well, is so a lot of the issues raised, there was time for question time and um, the questions that were raised were about um, one, the staffing shortages, um, two, the well-being and stress of the people in the sector and the, th the third one was about the pre-kindergarten data that it's based on outdated research and we don't actually have the data or have copies of the data that these children are being assessed upon. And um, the fourth one was around um, infringements and penalties and how I'll start with that one. So New South Wales has the highest number of breaches compared with any other state. So 
and but then it has the lowest number of infringement and penalties that have been enforced based on those breaches. So it raises the question, are they being too harsh in New South Wales with putting these breaches and publicising the number of breaches that they're um, putting on services? But then the other question that it comes up with is why, why are the um, infringements and penalties so low? So the regulatory authority did say that they are they are not for enforcing um, infringements and penalties. That they may they're more a supportive approach to help services to improve their practice and um, obviously get to a better standard where they're not obviously breaking the law. Um, now my, my I guess I feel really passionate about this. I see so many providers out there busting their asses off to do such an amazing job. Like it's not even a a question of the law and regulations. The question is the quality of care and the quality of service that they are providing for the children and families in their community that come to them every single day. That is what drives them. Now, it makes me really sad because I also see the flip side of that in my work where there are so many providers that do not care at all. They don't care about the quality, they don't care about the rating, they don't care about the law, they don't care about the regulations. Now, for any one of you that is remaining in one of these services as an educator, because you think that it's a free ride, I would really think again, what are your morals, what are your values? And if you are in one of these services, change, because not all services are equal and not all services are the same. If something doesn't feel right in your service, change. Move to one of these amazing providers and services that care about the children in their services. There are there are so many out there, but on the flip side, there are so many not doing the right thing either. So question your values, question your morals. I don't care how much you're getting paid at these services. It is not worth it. So every day that you spend at these shonky services is a day that you are questioning and undermining your values, your personal values. And what role model are you being for your children? Yes, you might be able to support them better, put food on the table, go on holidays. But can you look at yourself in the mirror every day and say, I'm doing an amazing job. I get up and I go to work and I'm so proud of the service and my team and I've what I bring, the value that we bring to these children and families every day is I'm proud of that. Can you say that? So I'd really ask you to question that. But my point is that with these services that are there that don't care and they've got, don't get me wrong, they've got teams in those services that care so much. Like that's why I said, like, why are you staying there? And I always think that, like, why are these amazing, and you have these amazing little gems in these services that really don't care, but they have some innate fire and some innate fight inside them that they are going to be the difference. They are going to make the difference. If they leave, what will these children and families have? They stay for the relationship. And I get that. We are we are in the people business. We care so, so much. But at the end of the day, you cannot make the difference. One person cannot make the difference. Ask yourself, are you happy there? Are you? Is this impacting on your values, your beliefs? Is this just getting to the point where it's too frustrating? But I want you to remember, not all services are like that. 
You need to discover the service that is right for you and has the philosophy that you believe in. I know that sometimes when you're in that situation and in deep, it can seem like there's no way out and and that, well, well, the whole profession must be like this. Like it's so bad. And you start to generalize because what we do, we put things in boxes. We start labeling things. But remember, not all services are like that. So really look outside the box and if you've been thinking about it for a while, I'd encourage you to do it. But before we, um, before I go on that tangent anymore, um, my point is bring back the penalties and infringements. Like, yes, investigate the situation. Yes, have informed and sound judgment to be able to make a, an assessment as to whether it warrants having a, um, enforcing that penalty or infringement. And my biggest thing is stop wasting time with these services who are clearly not doing the right thing. Like if, if the regulatory authority is going back to services like three, four, five, six, seven times to help them and support them, man, shut them down. Let providers go in to take over that service that do care about the children, that do care about the families um, and their future. So uh, I'm really passionate. I just I, I advocate for all of those amazing providers out there doing a fantastic job. You guys are so incredible um, and I, I see you. I see you and I see how hard you're working. I see that you're tired. I see that, um, you know, what it's like and the sacrifices that you're making in your life right now to keep your service at that level for the for the children and the families and your community. Keep it up. Keep doing that amazing work. Um, you know, and I yeah, I just want to encourage you to do that. Pat yourself on the back. Give yourself that self-care. Just make sure that you're also putting yourself first. Putting yourself first is really important. Hard, but important because I know that you've got so many other things pulling you away. But even if it's the tiny, littlest things, five minutes on your own, just sitting in the car before you go in. Five minutes to have a bath. Five minutes to paint your nails. Five minutes, like just take those minutes. Those minutes are so crucial to helping you, um, you know, get that mindset and get that, get you back into that rhythm. But I want to advocate for um, bringing back those penalties and infringements. If there are no consequences for those services, then what incentive do they have to do the right thing? It's ridiculous. So, um, and where is time being wasted? Like I'd prefer time being, not even wasted, but I'd prefer time being spent celebrating all of those amazing services doing the right thing. So, what was really clear in the event with the regulatory authority, I thought it was really great to have them come and to have them sit in front of us um, and to answer those questions and give us their time. And walking out of the event, all the approved providers felt heard. But the overall, and I don't even know if the providers really got this, but the overarching thing that came from the event and, and was repeated time and time and time again was our job of the regulatory authority is to regulate the sector. We are resp- uh, not responsible, what's the word? We are reportable to the families and the community and the children to ensure their overall health and well-being. 
So that's our job. Like that is our job. If we get a complaint from the community or a family, we investigate it. If we get and make sure that the service is compliant. So they are reportable to the families, children and community around regulating our sector. That is their job. Their job is not to save us with our staffing shortages. Their job is not to um, impact our well-being and stress. Um, you know, their job is to make sure that we are compliant um, in our sector. So I think, yes, it's really amazing that they're coming from a much more supportive avenue. It's really amazing that they want to listen and hear our values and what's happening for us in the sector. But we have to remember what their job is. And their job, like they are not going to save us. They are not going to um, do anything in line with helping us with any of our staffing, well-being, um, any of those issues. We need to help ourselves. So I left with the question feeling like, who is there to support us? I was like, who, if they're not like, because it was clear and I know that like all like, so for example, if an incident happens at your center, um, they will come in and they'll investigate. But they won't even ask what happened with those team members. They don't care if you've given them a warning. They don't care if you've done nothing. They don't care if you've stood them down. They don't care. All they care about is how this has impacted the child. What safety mitigations um, and risk minimization procedures have you put in place to make sure this is not going to happen again for the child and the community? That is their priority, which it should. Somebody needs to stand and advocate for the safety of the children. So that is their, that's their role. That's what they do. So the question, who is there to support us? And I was chatting with a few approved providers and they were like, well, we need to support each other. Like we need to band together and we need to support each other. Because, I mean, if you have the answer to that question, other than that, I'd love to know. But yeah, that was just the question that I left with. So, you know, um, I guess on the back foot of that like we've just promoted so we'll be doing some free network groups so um in sydney so we'll be doing a walk and talk um for providers and leaders to get together and just network just catch up face to face talk walk so we can be healthy um so we'll be doing that each month and obviously we've got out we've got our regular network group which is um online we meet once a month and we just come together, share ideas, perspectives. Um, we get guest speakers and um, they come on. So we've been running the online network group for four years now. Um, we have an amazing group of people. So if you're wanting to join that, those are both free avenues in order to network, um, be inspired, be empowered um, and really just know that other people are going through similar things that you are as well. So if you want to join those, um, you can go to our website. So www.platinumed.com.au um, or reach out to me on socials and let me know you're interested and I'll point you in the right direction. But these are just free network avenues to just get together, see people face to face. Sometimes you just need to get out of your service and you do just need to see some other people to get a different light on things. So um, that was from the event with the regulatory authority. And again, I really appreciate um, the people putting on the event and I really appreciate the um, regulatory authority for having the, um, 
I'm going to say guts to come out and sit in front of the approved providers and have their say. There were some really heartbreaking stories, um, which I empathise with them so much about, you know, receiving notice just before Christmas. They were supposed to go on a holiday with their family. And um, instead of going on the holiday, they had to do their self-assessment. They had to prepare their service. Um, And obviously, a lot of talk about the changes with the notice period. So with it moving to one to five days, which obviously um, puts a priority on having your QIP up to date at all times um, and and your service to a certain standard. So he, he did talk, touch on that and he did talk about that. So I guess the snippets were that what they're planning to do, so there won't be any changes until mid-year. Um, they will run a couple of trials before it officially comes into place and that they, yeah, so what they want is an equal playing field for all services um, and they just want the rating to really reflect what the current situation of the service is. So I guess what frustrates me is that, um, and I guess the sound across the room, everyone emulates with this same reaction that the regulatory authority continue to say that meeting is great. Meeting is a great and their priority is to get all services to a meeting level. But I don't know about you, I'm a high achiever, but I think meeting is not great. Meeting is good and it's a good place to start if you're a new service, but <coughs> excuse me. But um you know, we obviously want to be aiming for the stars. We want to be aiming higher. We want to be aiming for that exceeding. And you know what, if we don't get there that's fine, but at least we know that we're doing everything we can for those children, families and our community to create a great space for them. Now, I also wanted to address a bit of an elephant in the room. So we know that the regulatory authority are the people that come and regulate services. They ensure that they are compliant. That is their job. Now, one of the um, amazing um, providers mentioned a question. They said, look, guys, you're doing an amazing job. We really appreciate you being here today. Um, However, like we'd love to see more celebration and more good news stories. We'd love to see um, you promote those within, um, you know, on socials and publicly. And they replied you know they joked a little bit and they were like oh well our good news stories are when like you know we we help services who are really bad improve like they didn't really have those good news stories where it's like oh amazing like um you know abc123 over here is doing this amazing um work with the community around this like and then it got me questioning would it be a conflict of interest if they were to promote the, and celebrate these things? Like we see a CEQA do it and a CEQA are um, a separate body that oversee obviously national, um, you know, the quality of services nationally. So that's fine. They're sort of separate to the regulatory authority. But it got me questioning and I've been thinking about this idea a lot and I am not sure if the regulatory authority can be in charge of both compliance and ensuring that um, services that are adhering to the um, law and regulations and the quality, doing assessment and rating and assessing the quality of the service because the quality should really about be like celebrating the amazing things that you're doing in your service and let's celebrate that shit. Like let's actually celebrate it. 
But with them doing both, I feel like is it, it – I keep coming back to this question in my gut. Is it a conflict of interest? It's like, okay, this is a scenario that I'm going to give you two analogies. One, it's like a police officer knocking on your door and saying, wow, guys, you're doing a really amazing job. No, the police is only going to come to your house if, if someone's put in a complaint or you've done something wrong. So how can they both enforce that and celebrate that at the same time? Uh, I just and then my other analogy is like it's like a coach. Um, it's not a coach. It's like a referee in a in a sports game. So whether it's soccer, football, whatever. So the referee, if the referee sides with one team over the other, it seems to have bias and conflict. And what will happen is that that um, that team will obviously have a um, a higher advantage in the game if that. Re- and we see it. We we in Australia we we do. We're like, oh, that ref is so biased. Like they're going for that team. Oh my gosh the poor other team like oh I feel so bad for them they're getting so many calls against them the refs clearly bias but why have we never questioned that about the regulatory authority like how is that not bias like how is them like having those complaints and having those things about a service on file and I'm not saying don't take these into consideration when you do the assessment and rating but are they fair are we really getting a fair assessment and you know with a referee, when they're when they're fair and impartial, it is a much more even match because they're assessing you based on what they see in that match on the day. Um, and you know, I, I just anyway, I wanted to put that out there that I I don't know how it would work. I don't even know if it's possible. But I want to I want to address an elephant in the room and an idea for the future because I I just think this year I feel it in my gut that it's just a transformation in the sector, and I feel it in my gut that something that needs to change is to separate and draw the line between two government organisations, one assessing quality and one assessing compliance. And the compliance can do the spot checks, the compliance can, you know, assess to make sure all services are complying. And then opposite to that is the quality and assessing the quality of services and allowing us to showcase and that celebrate the celebrate it. I think we need to do more celebrating. So that is my idea and I would love to see that happen. I don't know how, I don't know if it is possible, but I just thought it just never made sense to me that they do both. I just really feel that it's a conflict of interest um, and I think how can they not be biased? So moving along to my third point for today, (laughs) I promise this is a bit more lighthearted. If you're still here listening, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Um, So some observations from services that we visited recently um, around, so I've got some different topics here. So the first one is around the QIP. So we've been supporting a lot of services to to look over. We've looked over their QIP, helped them to develop their QIP um, and self-assessment in New South Wales. And um, what we're finding is just some common themes. So, so many services, um, let's face it, (laughs) are really bad at talking about what we do well. So this is in relation to your well let's let's actually reverse a little bit. So with your QIP according to the regulations all you need to have is your philosophy, your um, areas for improvement and your progress notes and it just needs to be available to your families upon request and the regulatory authority. 
That's fine. So that is all that you need to have. So we don't need to spend our time writing up all these strengths, um, documenting all these strengths. The, the self-assessment tool is still optional. It's still optional. You don't have to do it. I mean, we're seeing about 75% of services in New South Wales opt in for the self-assessment and the rumour mill is um, circulating that they are going to be bringing that into other states. Um because we found so many advantages of it, not just advantages. Yes, it's more work for services, but on the flip side of that, it is um, saving the regulatory authorities so much time and services get to be in control of their assessment and rating. But what does it actually come down to? Now, two things. The first most important thing is that it comes down to your language. Remember that your submission, so whether it's your QIP or your self-assessment, is your first impression of your service to the assessor. So you want to make sure that your language is talking in an exceeding language. So it's really, really crucial. And I'm going to read out to you what that sounds like. So we've got um, reflect, comprehensive, it's embedded, it's accessible, it's established, it's predictable, it's available, discussion, drive, affirm, respond, actively, quality, choices, range, positive aspects, it's well-resourced, well-promoted, children, stimulating, awareness, involvement, engagement, challenge, maximize opportunity, it's consistent, attuned, regularly, available, continuous, best practice, high quality. It's revised, it's flexible and um, actively aspects well. And the biggest word is systematical. So systems and processes build freedom. So it is the the, like you need to have that foundation of those systems and practices and processes in your service. If you do something more than once, document it as a system or a process so that everyone knows it's very clear this is how you do it and name it. Give it an awesome name. But with your submission, again, we only get one chance to make a first impression and that is that, that is their, that is your first impression to the assessor that's coming out to your service. So don't be afraid to showcase the amazing things that you're doing every single day. Um, we're really helping services with writing and articulating their key practice statements and, and also it's not just about those key practice statements, it's how you're wording your improvements as well and making sure that you um, only have a maximum of three to four improvements, big, big goal, big picture improvements that you're working on over um, a long period of time. If you can fix something, fix it straight away. Don't add it into the QIP. So, and that helps because we are the navigators. We're the navigators of helping our teams to go in a common direction. So once you have those good set goals, then you can obviously help your teams to go in that direction. And it should be prevalent in your programming. It should be prevalent in your practice. It should be prevalent in your team meetings. This should be something that's embedded in so many different avenues in your service. The other common thing that we've been finding is that um, services are wondering, uh, and there's a lot of services out there who are wondering this, um, you know, our service is amazing, like why didn't we get exceeding? We feel like we're exceeding, why didn't we get exceeding? Now we need to remember that the exceeding rating means going above and beyond the standards. 
So if you write your QIP or you write your um, self-assessment as meeting the standards or meeting the law regulations and in, in your practice, then of course they're going to come in and your, your practice might get you over the line. Don't get me wrong. They might come in and observe you. So don't feel like you're ever forgetting something. That's okay. But your practice might get you over the line to that exceeding rating. But the fact is, and the truth is, that we need to have evidence of those three exceeding themes for every single element. Every single one. If you miss one, you will not get exceeding in that element. So really the assessor's job is just to come in and collect that evidence and show is this true or is this untrue um, and what, um, what, where, how is this service currently performing. So you're in control of that. Um, the self-assessment really does give you back that control. But again, make sure that your language is at an exceeding level and make sure that everything you do or all of your improvements is driving everything you do in your practice. There are two most important documents in your service. What do you think they are? Give you a minute. (laughs) Um, The first one is your philosophy. So your philosophy should be really unique to you. It should be your secret source, your vision for the future, how your service is, how you want it to be and what you're aiming for, your mission, mission, your vision, your values. Um, And that should paint the whole picture of the direction that your service is going in. And then your second most important document is your QIP or self-assessment. So these are your goals, your improvements from that. Um, I hate the word goals. I hate the word improvements. So we call them priorities. um, And that's the three to four things that we focus on throughout the year. Now, once your service is at a meeting level, because that's what you want to focus on, you want to focus on your service getting to that meeting level, everything, all processes, all practices. And don't be afraid to come back and revisit the basics because it's interesting the the amount of services that we visit who are incredible, like they're at an exceeding level. Um, However, it's those little basic things that let them down because in our in our profession, we have a habit of just keep moving moving towards the future. How can we be better? What can we do? And creating that big ideas, but what we don't often do is come back and revisit those basics. So make sure you still have those audits. You're still looking at those basics on a regular basis um, with your team to make sure that they're also embedded. But once you're at meeting, you want to really move towards every single thing that you're doing from there is about exceeding. So if you want to know a bit more about exceeding themes, go back and listen to our podcast on exceeding themes. Um, We've got a podcast um, on critical reflection because obviously that is one of the exceeding themes. So yeah, just go back and listen to those podcasts. It goes into it a a little bit more. Um, now systems and processes. So I've touched a little bit on that already, but we're finding like what lets services down? The fact that they don't have systems and processes, the fact that they might implement um, <clears throat> this amazing idea, but they don't have a system around it. So for example, um, they've got all of these great initiatives, all of these um, things like projects that the, the educators are enforcing um, and doing, but there's no system. Like no one knows how often they're happening. No one knows why they're happening. No one knows where the research is behind that. No one's got feedback from the families. So really look at what system are you using when you implement something new? 
And then other services, which are awesome, they're, they're ideas people. So they've got so many ideas and all of these ideas that they're working on. In fact, like we've got a Trello board in our company that it's literally just ideas, 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 ideas. We're obviously working on so many projects that we can't take on all the ideas at once. So we park them. And then we go back to them once a month and review them um, and see which ideas we'd like to move forward with that would really support um, our sector and our profession. So <clears throat> if you've got really amazing ideas, think about what um, project plan or action plan. Do you need a template to be like, okay, this is the idea we're doing. Um, this is how, how we're going to do it. This is who's responsible and have it as part of your QIP. So just make sure that you've got those systems and processes in place and that they're really, really clear. And how are you documenting them to make sure that anyone new coming on board is able to easily understand that as well? An example of that would be your programming and planning. So your planning cycle, what's your system and process for that? Um, is it documented? And then my biggest rule, which I've been working with services as we audit um, their programming and planning cycles is, could you explain it to your husband, your partner, your mom, your dad in 15 minutes for, and they would understand it? If you can't explain it in 15 minutes for someone to clearly understand, um, then it's too complicated. And that's what we, that's what habit we have in this um, profession is that we overcomplicate so many different things. So we're all about coming into services and really simplifying your systems and processes. So it's easy for everyone to understand and do minimizes the workload and saves people a whole lot of time. So the other one is, um, again, building the level of knowledge of our teams and um, so we know that people come in and they're at different stages in their career and we can't get frustrated by that. It's it's fact. You know, I, I remember like when you've been in the profession for so long and you get um, unconsciously unconscious, so you're just doing your job on robot mode. Of course, it's going to frustrate you that this trainee over here has no knowledge and knows nothing. But for some reason in our sector, we understand that trainees know nothing and have no knowledge. So we're quite more, we're more supportive of them. But a Cert 3 that comes in with one or two years experience will be like, how do they not know that? Why don't they know that? But if you just treat everyone and, and you have a beginner's mindset and remember what you were like when you first came into the profession and have that empathy, have that really beautiful um, compassion for that person and just just uh, just put in your head, oh, nobody knows anything and if they don't know it, I'm, I'm going to be that person who's going to um, show them and role model and mentor. Like, and so those people that work under you are a reflection of you. The better that they do, that means that you are doing your job with making them amazing. Never be afraid to have people working with you or under you who are better than you. That's amazing because that means that you are doing your job right and you will get the credit for that. Trust me. So spread that light, light all those candles, you know, make everyone around you and put that time and have that compassion and empathy to make people around you as amazing as you are. I am sure that you can look back in your career and say, I am who I am today in my profession because of this person. We all have one. We all have at least one person in our lives that was that person for us. Even if it was like, I mean, I look back and I'm like, 
I have I have one person, yes, but I also have people that I'm like, oh man, I would never do that. I never want to do that. So you take it, you leave it, but those people shape who we are and you want to be that person that these your team come back to you in three, four, five, seven, ten, fifteen years and say, I am where I am because of you. There is no better feeling. So um, that's my, <laughs> I feel like that was a bit of a rant guys. I hope you got some value from, from there today. I just felt like, oh, you know what? I'm just going to get it out of my system, but I really want to hear what's going on for you. So please get in touch, message me, say hello. Um, and let me know what's going on for you. Um, I've loved, um, so at the event I I've met some of you, um, face to face. So it was really beautiful to see you. Um, so yeah, let me know what's going on for you. What are your biggest challenges? How can we support you? How can we help you? And I guess the only other thing I want to leave is like, I feel in our last network group, we we had some questions raised from, um, I guess, members of our group. And they're like, can we talk about this? And they were questions that were a bit like uncomfortable and I could see and so instead of just asking the question we just had a whole bunch of different common scenarios that raised those points and those perspectives and we sat in that and we had that conversation um but as soon as we raised that we could see like you could see everyone um on the screen their level of discomfort like they were just withdrawing they were moving back from the camera they were like wiggling around like they're just that level of discomfort I really want to encourage everyone, as soon as you feel that level of discomfort or you're like, oh, I don't really feel like I can get involved in this conversation or I have a point of view, but I'm afraid to share it or this is what I think. I think be in a, like our network groups are a really safe space. So it's a really beautiful opportunity for every single person to have their perspective heard um, and to voice their perspective and opinion. And it's really beautiful that people were able to do that in that space um, without judgment, without criticism, without anything. Everyone just had their point of view and perspective heard. So I really want to encourage you, like lean into that discomfort, like really embrace that discomfort because when you feel uncomfortable, it means that you're growing. It means that you are seeing something within you that because I feel like when we pause in that discomfort, all we're doing is pausing being like, I don't want people to judge. I don't want people to, you know, say something about me. I don't want people's like to have a bad opinion of me. And it's about everybody else. But be free to be you. Be free to voice your opinion. Be be free to um, be heard. We encourage this so much in children that to be an individual, to be heard, to be seen, to be valued. We should feel the same way as well. And we should feel that sense of belonging. So instead of defaulting to is this, um, I feel like in our sector, we say, if this is not going to please everyone, let's not do it. But it's time to speak up and it's time to inform change. Um, And it is a time for transformation in our sector. So if you've got an opinion, you've got something that you want to see, voice it. Like, you know, put it out there. Like, let's share those positive messages. Let's share that good news wheel as well. But if there's an opinion, like, think about what questions it raises for you. Like, think about what what does that mean to you? Like, where is that going? How could that be utilized? Because for me, when I experience something that's uncomfortable, I'm like, where is the growth in this for me? 
I'm like, yes, this means I'm growing because, you know, the com- if we stay in our little circle, which is our comfort zone, we're never going to grow and we're never going to learn. So it's important to embrace the discomfort, step out of our comfort zones. And I always phrase it and embrace the question. So I have a lot of questions. Who's there to support us? Um, You know, are we doing this because we want to do this or we're just doing this to please everybody else? Um, You know, we know in our job as a leader that we cannot please everyone 100% of the time. It is important for us to be able to, I always say, put our big girl pants on and make tough decisions. But just make sure that you have people around you um, and people that are supporting you with that. So just a reminder that we've got our free network groups. We can support you if you're wanting to look over your QIP or self-assessment and make sure that that is current, up to date and that you are really serving your service and you're really painting that full, beautiful picture. Um, And of course, help you with your systems and processes in your service, which we are working with some amazing organizations um, that really value and care about the quality and building up their systems and processes from the ground up. So I have, thanks, thanks, I should say thanks so much for letting me um, vent and share my opinion today. Um, A bit of a different episode, so let me know if you you loved it or hated it. Um, That's fine. Um, We'll go back to regular scheduled programming next week. Um, And we do have some amazing guests coming up um, as well, which I can't wait to share with you from our sector. Um, If you're wanting to come on as a guest and share your story, um, share something you're passionate about, get in touch as well. And of course, share any episodes I'd love for you to share them with your friends and give us some feedback. Otherwise, have an awesome week, guys. Um, Happy weekend, happy Friday and um, or wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whatever day it is. And I can't wait to get back in in touch next week. So just a reminder, keep making every moment count and um, have an awesome week. Thanks for listening to the Everything Early Childhood podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. We read them all. (laughs) To catch all the latest from me, your host, Lisa Brown, you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Lisa Brown underscore Platinum Ed. Thanks again for listening. Keep making every moment count and I'll see you next time.